Hello and welcome to Found. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the cognitive to my behavioral therapy and co-host. Jordan Crook here. Wow. Cognitive. I like to get the cognitive You're side. the cognitive. That's, yeah, that feels like a compliment. I'll take it. You're the thinky one. I'm the just the do thing. One. Yeah, just the animal Habit. reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking to Ariella Safira of Real on this show. TechCrunch's Found podcast, where we tell you the stories behind the startups. So Ariella has created Real, which aims to make mental health care more accessible to everyone, basically. And the way they do that is by making it affordable. So they aim to provide it in the kind of almost like a Netflix model. I was just going to say that. Well, it's like yeah. the Netflix model for mental health. Well, we think alike, Jordan, because we're so smart. The smartest we're two people. sides of the same brain, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, they give you therapy. And the way they make it accessible is by offering a lot of group therapy. Uh, they also offer one-on-one, but group therapy is the model that makes it different from other competing services. And it's also, according to Ariella, something that members seem to want to do more than the individual one-on-one therapy, which was a surprise to me. But once she explained the reasons, it did make sense. And it's not just group therapy that you go and attend in a group. You can actually watch videos of previous group therapies and just passively learn and listen. Yeah, there's Pretty like cool. an on-demand library as well even more like netflix but we do want to warn listeners out there we do talk about mental health struggles in this episode obviously but we also talk a little bit about suicide it was part of ariel's founding journey and i also mentioned some of my own experience with that and talk about it in a, in a bit of detail so if that's a trigger for you this might be the episode to just go ahead and skip but we had a great conversation with Ariella. And I'm going to let her take it away. Hey, Ariella, how's it going? It's going well. I'm so excited to chat. Yeah, excited to have you here. You're our first guest of 2022. I'm flattered. Happy 2022. Yeah, yeah. Happy 2022. I This year seems to be, you know, it's full of promise right now. How about for uh, Real? Is this set to be an exciting year for Real and your company? Very much so. You know, we launched just about a year and a half ago as a public-facing membership. And this next 2022 is all about really forming a more depthful relationship with our members and growing the platform itself through a few unique ways. And I'm very excited excited to see that come to life. And I hope we also get the chance to meet together as a team much more too, crossing our fingers that uh, the health of our country allows for it. And I'm very excited to get more IRL time with the team. Yes, we've all got fingers crossed for that to happen for sure. But I think actually it's worthwhile to take a step back and just if you want to give a quick explanation of what real is for some of our listeners who might not be familiar. Obviously, they're all TechCrunch fans. <laughs> so they've all read the terrific article by my co-host here, Jordan Crook. But in case they haven't, give them the highlight level elevator pitch of what it is. This is the first time I'm doing so in 2022, so I'm a bit (laughs) rusty. Really what real is, is we're making mental wellness an essential part of well-being. And what that looks like today is offering a monthly membership model, all access through your phone, that allows for you to maintain your mental health and work on your mental health in an everyday format and a price point you can afford. 
So right now, more literally, members can join Real at a price point for less than $20 a month. And what they have access to is every month we're capturing their mental health and identifying decline or improvement. And then they have access to a suite of mental health care products all built in-house by both our clinical teams and our design teams. And so we have products called Pathways, we have events, we have Real Talks, and they're all formats of both on-demand and live opportunities to engage with various parts of our life that impact our mental health. So things like forming a better relationship with your body image and improving your communication relationships and working on your depression. So a range from the like everyday frustrations, insecurities that cause mental distress to the very depthful issues that are really lying within us. Members have the opportunity to work on it all in a more accessible format. Jordan, I know you previously spoke to Ariella. So do you want to kick us off with what were you super interested in learning more about based on that conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that hit so hard for me when we first talked, Ariella, was how long group therapy has been around and how impactful it's been and effective it's been. And yet the fact that it's generally been underemployed. I mean, I know that like in my life, if I've struggled with things, my first thought is not, where's the first group that I can go to talk to about this, right? Like it's just mm -hmm. not how our minds default when we're feeling vulnerable. For those of us who are in therapy, we set this Tuesday, 1 p.m. meeting. And my biggest moment of struggle through the week where I need it the most might be Thursday at midnight. And I might not be vibing for therapy. I might be having a wonderful day where I just want to live in the moment and enjoy. And then to like drudge up how I'm feeling and try to better myself in that moment might not be where I'm at. And so how in your life and through your experiences, did you have the light bulb moment for both of those things? And a little bit more on the process of how you decided to put it all together. So there wasn't one light bulb moment. It definitely was a process of years of learning and iterating. And I'm able to tell a much clearer story now. You know, everything looks clearer when you're looking back <laughs> than maybe when you're in the moment. But I'm happy to share some of my background that led me to where we are today. And I should add, obviously, our team and all of their insights have contributed. But essentially, I started working in mental health care about seven, eight years ago. I'm not a clinician by training. I was an undergrad at Stanford at the time. And I became passionate about it when a friend had attempted to take her life. And really, that was my first experience with the mental health care system, the first time I'd ever seen or visited a rehab, understood meds. And I thought the system didn't make sense. Like one of the biggest issues being that the first time she met a mental health professional when she attempted to take her life, it wasn't surprising to me because at the time I thought, I've never met a mental health professional. Am I going to wait until I'm in crisis to do so? And so I threw myself at it and haven't stopped working on it since. Essentially, at the time I got in touch with the founder of IDEO, we hit it off and ended up spending a few years working together on redesigning mental health care. Actually left Stanford, I thought I would drop out entirely. During that process, I went over to Liverpool, England to work at what's considered the most innovative mental ward in the world. And one of the insights they brought to life that drove to a new innovation was that the majority of people who are reaching their facilities were reaching them for the first time at crisis. So the same phenomenon that happened with my friend. And what they realized is that as long as the system continues to exist within the NHS hospital system, no one's going to come into layer crisis. We have already defined the hospital as a place for illness, right? For crisis. And so what we have to do is meet people where they're at. 
And what that meant for them is that they also simultaneously identified that libraries throughout Liverpool were these centrally located, beautiful buildings that were going completely unused because the new generations were not making use of libraries. So what they did is they actually redesigned what, while I was there, their first library to be offer a cafe, be a bit more techified, and then offer group classes within that cafe and free classes on things like anger. And, and all were led by non-clinically trained individuals and volunteers. And they really took the format of a curriculum-driven group class. And the idea was like, how do we bring this to where people already are? How do we make this convenient for them such that fewer people reach crisis, right? And such that more people have the tools to even name when they do. And I bring that up because it's something that I'm sure has sort of manifested in my brain for years. And from there, I continued to work on care. And I went to IDEO New York to work on how can we redesign mental health care. I joined City Block, which really makes use of that community-driven model and hiring community health partners. And part of the philosophy that drive City Block's thesis on a care model is that you need people from one's community to drive that person's healthcare journey. And so in various ways, it's showed up. I'm sure in many ways you do resort to group, right? It might not be a group led by a therapist. You resort to friends who are similar to you. I do think as humans, we look for ways to bring it up. This is now a pretty long story, but I'm digging it. it's a long-winded way of saying I finally dropped out of Columbia successfully this time to found real. And the origin hypothesis of real was let's not just put one-on-one -on -one therapy online. Let's not just put a cute brand on therapy. Instead, let's take 10 steps back and ask, what is the definition of a successful mental health care model and how can we bring that to life? And how I defined at the time, and we certainly still define it now, is first and foremost, it needs to be a system that can reach every American. Secondly, it needs to be a system that every American can afford. Third, is that clinically effective? How can we prove this helps, whatever helps might look like? And four is it has to reach people before rock bottom, right? This huge issue it takes an average of 11 years between facing symptoms of mental illness and actually reaching care. And that's really unfortunate for a person's health. And it's really hard to treat someone when they're already at crisis. We know preventative care is such a more efficient way to build a healthcare system, right? And so what that looked like in practice was we raised our first round of funding. And what it was used for is one, as I mentioned that like we really need to reach the scale of Americans and one-on-one -on -one therapy will never reach the scale of Americans because we don't have enough therapists, right? So at the time it was, we need group models. And that looked like groups of 20, groups of 40. And second to that was we need to build pathways. And where that came from are one-on-one -on -one therapy is really hard to capture the benefits of or the efficacy of because there's no beginning, middle, and end. It's a pretty indefinite black hole of an experience. Some people go once a week, some once a month, some once a year. So it's quite hard to capture from a research perspective. What is driving someone's improved efficacy and care? Is it going once a week? Is it this therapist match? And so we built these programs, these curriculum-driven programs such that we would have a clear model to work with and people can see where am I in this journey? How am I doing? And uh, the third piece that really needed high quality clinicians to bring this model to life and high quality clinicians don't want to work at startups. I mean, now the world's a lot different. They want to work at Stanford Med School and Harvard Med School and these work environments that offer a very different culture than Slack powered startups. We built this really wonderful brick and mortar location. And finally, is we need to reach people sooner, right? Before they hit rock bottom, we need to invest in both a brand and a new type of care that actually makes sense every day. 
So we raised that round of funding, geared up to build a brick and mortar studio, interviewed 126 therapists and found our founding team of five. Studio is set to open April, 2020. COVID hits, yeah. we're not able to do that. But it ended up being a really fortunate experience for us. And I think for our mental health care system in that it really forced us to open our eyes and listen to what do people most need? What does it mean to meet people where they're at? Because we had no other option. They were not leaving their home. And what do I mean by that? Essentially, really immediately, we anticipated mental health needs are going to skyrocket. We need to put something up now. So we put up what was meant to be a one-month offering of free digital care offered in both one-on-one and group format. And that group format was comparable to the pathway in that it was very curriculum-driven. There was a model people could look to and name. And the cut to this was a huge success, not just because so many people took part in it, but even more so because we gathered learnings we'd have never gotten in person. One, everyone preferred group over one-on-one which is a huge surprise because a free one-on-one session is a far better deal than a free group. Two, about half the people are joining groups anonymously. Videos off, names hidden. And three, when we would follow up to ask, you know, hey, if you want a more private experience, do you want to join a one-on-one? Time and time again, folks would share, no, I want to be in this group, right? I want to learn tools from the therapist. I want to learn examples from other people. And the insight that came to life is, hey, the reason why I'm not going to one-on-one is not because of cost. You remove that. It's, I don't know how I would talk about my body in after 45 minutes. Right. What does it mean to talk about my recurring nightmares? I've never learned that. I've never seen examples of that. And really the gap was people need to learn in the same way that we have an education for so many other concepts of our life. People needed that form of education for mental health care. And from there, maybe they'll need one-on-one, maybe they won't. But the underlying thing is I need a community of people that validates me in the very thing I'm facing. And then two, that teaches me, where do I go from here? What does this mean? What is happening to me? And so that drove us to the care model we're driving forward today. And wow, am I sorry that took so no, long. No, no, that was good. That, there was so much there like to unpack. One of the things that stands out to me is the idea that people want to learn from therapy. It feels like bad timing with the launch of the studio in April 2020, but there's actually a lot that's really moving in your favor, right? In terms of one, just our willingness to be open and vulnerable. I think this generation of millennials and even more with Gen Z are like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to therapy. You know, there's that meme of, you know, boomers being like, she's going to therapy and yeah. millennials being like, listen to what my therapist said. <laughs> so I think there's that one thing. And then there's also the piece where I think that breakthrough therapy, I don't know if that's what it's actually called, if that's like the technical term for it, but the idea that you go and you talk and you talk and you talk and your therapist says, how does that make you feel? And then you keep talking and how does that make you feel? And you have to come to your own conclusion six years later. I think that's powerful for some, but I think it's not really in vogue right now. I think the idea that you can go and learn tools. I mean, you see the explosion of people like Adam Grant and Brene Brown and kind of the way that they say, hey, like, let's talk about this in terms that you could learn and then use moving forward and have actual tactics to deal with things. And interviewing the therapist that would be right for this, how did you think about that and make sure that those are people who are not just psychologists, but are educators? Great question. I should start by saying one of the things that really frustrated me about the mental health care landscape ahead of my founding reel was how often organizations, startups, companies would state we have vetted therapists and yet none can answer what is the definition of a vetted therapist? And I think it really does a disservice to the end client who is so unaware 
of what the system looks like and really set them up for failure as they enter and meet a non-vetted therapist, hate them, and then leave practicing their mental health care forever. Right. So we took that really seriously from the jump. And what that looked like was interviewing 126 therapists. I was the first round interview for all of them, conducting five rounds of interviews for all of them, inclusive of case studies. So actually sharing a variety of this is a client that comes in, they share X, Y, and Z, how do you respond? And then also we sent in secret shoppers to actually go in and do sessions with them, not sharing that they're associated with real. And one of the biggest reasons for that is because pretty early on, I identified every single therapist is telling me the same thing. When you're storytelling your care to me, you're going to say, I have an eclectic form of care and I meet the client where they're at and I use a combination of psychoanalysis and CBT and DBT. And it's really hard to capture that genuinely until you're live in front of them. Yeah. At this point, there must be a set of like right answers that have been established. That, right, exactly. Yeah. So those real secret shoppers or were those like real employees? Like what, how do you even, I know secret shoppers like go into Chipotle and make sure that they get the right change. But like, I've never heard of a secret shopper going in to like do therapy. I'm offered secret software jobs all the time. I get the lucrative oh, offers. Well, no. well, with how much <laughs> retail you do, I assume that you get a lot of secret shopper. Sarah, want to go to therapy? We need a spot for you. <laughs> no, so there were three friends, all of different ages, sexualities, and races. So diverse in what they're asking for, at least based on the expectations of what therapy thinks is diversity, diverse in that way. One is my childhood best friend who said, I think the most mentally unwell thing I did was see 30 therapists in one month. But, wow. but it wasn't like you went to an actual like secret shopper agency and we're oh, like, correct. Go it was do, not okay like yeah because i was about to say that what a what an order what an invoice <laughs> so one other thing that i wanted to talk to you about and then i'll maybe pass to daryl for a hot minute is you clearly have a deep passion for the healthcare system and for you know therapeutic care and mental wellness but it's also very intellectual the way that you're talking to us about it and so i'm just curious about being the leader of a company that is focused on mental wellness must put a lot of pressure on you as a human being, not just as a CEO or a founder to kind of <laughs> meet the criteria of the end result of these curricula, right? Or be vulnerable, but be thoughtful and be communicative and be empathetic and all of these things. And so I'm just curious for you as a human being and as a living, breathing person, how you kind of approach not so much the intellectual side of things or the business side of things, but the emotional side of what you as a founder represent and what real represents to your team and to partners, to other therapists who are trying to sign on to end users, to investors, whoever, right? To us. I defer to being as human as I can be. I don't assume I am the A plus student of all our pathways. I haven't completed them all, but I am certainly open and honest about what I don't know and think that my superpower is being able to combine the understanding people, understanding the more hippy-dippy side, if you will, of this and having the language to name what this means and what its impact is on an investor level, on a payer or health insurance level. And I think it's my job within the company to play that role of a translator as well, because we have such different departments at real and people working together who have never worked together. And what's so magical is, wow, they all say and think in such valuable ways, the gaps are in the translation. And of course, there's like what a PM product manager was taught to say and communicate what KPIs and metrics they hold themselves accountable to. They're named differently, but the principles and philosophies behind them are very similar 
to what our therapy team is doing, that they will never use the same words. And, you know, a great example of that is retention, right? To an average therapist, that sounds like an ugly business word of why is the goal to retain members? And what I believe and certainly spend time communicating to like therapists and payers alike is the very problem with our mental health care system is that we lack retention. And so we've built millions of emergency department options, millions of things to do at crisis, and we have no sustained model of taking care of your mental health. Maybe a therapist would call it sustainability. Yeah, yeah. Right? All the acute care is, is the result of there being no sustainable model, right? But, exactly. Yeah. And so I think it asks of me to be very patient because startups move very quickly and every stakeholder is asking for a pretty quick response. They're all messaging you at once and want to sustain real. I definitely think it's my job to identify and elevate the values of all people within it. And also like real will be better when I can identify it. I just need to be patient and not have knee jerk reactions in doing so. And to simultaneously maintain my mental health through the process. When Jordan was saying, asking that question, um, it, it reminded me a lot of a, a common thing that therapists talk about, right? Which is like, in my role, patients often look to me as I should be the exemplar of everything that I'm trying to help them with. And it's like, well, that's not how this works at all, right? Like, right. That's, whereas if you look at us, like me and Jordan, and you're like, people expect us to be, I don't know, alcoholics and spendthrifts or whatever, like, cause <laughs> we're in the editorial industry. So the expectations are a lot lower. <laughs> but I guess it's in terms of identity like do you identify more with the entrepreneurship community or with like the kind of mental health professional community or is it a blend of both how do you feel about that and and how do you feel like the expectations are upon you yeah pick a side draw a line (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't think it's so black and white i think there are examples of founders who feel like a community to me. And there are examples of founders and entrepreneurs I'm not aligned with. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very diplomatic way to say that. I'm not aligned with that. And maybe because of my alignment with the mental health care community, I empathize with how challenging it is to be a founder and how lonely it can be and how lack of tools and language result in some of the poor behaviors of a founder. And maybe real could help that. And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I mean, genuinely, I think most of the issues in this country would be solved if we were taught proper communication and had patience for one another. We just never were. And so often, I think when it comes to mental health care, we as a country, we're so narrow-minded. We define mental health care as the therapy appointment. And early on, when I was interviewing therapists for real, one of my questions was, I would name, my goal is to improve mental health in this country. My goal is not to expand therapy. What I mean by that is if I find that ballet classes improve the mental health in this country, I'm putting ballet classes on the map. Are you with me there? That takes a much more like open-minded way of thinking and a much more goal-oriented way of thinking as opposed to a product-oriented way of thinking. Like I'm relentlessly don't care what the product looks like as long as it's solving for this mission, which is probably why we were able to like seamlessly evolve from brick and mortar to this digital tool because my energy, my connection was not with the product ever. It was with what is the thing that's going to serve these people. And I think that we have a country that doesn't know how to think that open-mindedly. And certainly the pandemic forced us to, and it's been way easier to have these conversations with stakeholders. I name this because I think what's causing our mental distress in this country is largely that we were never taught these tools. And while it's not one-on-one therapy, I think we would benefit far more 
if from K through fifth grade, you were taking classes on emotional health, I fully trust we'd be doing better than if we deploy one-on-one therapy to every individual in this country once they hit 45. Yeah, I think like what you were, when you were describing the benefits that people get out of group sessions, like, and you mentioned it, but it sounded so analogous to just education, right? Like the way that we've designed public education is the same, like in a group setting where people can not only learn from the person giving the instruction, but observe Mm -hmm. each other and learn from your interactions and how other people handle that and how people who have more experience with it deal with it. And then if the people make a misstep or whatever, like the person who's in charge and who is the expert can correct them and model good behavior. All of those things are huge benefits of group setting, right? And it brought back a fairly upsetting personal memory, but like, you know, I had a friend who committed suicide in high school and he, he had attempted it first and then he ended up in the psych ward. And that was my first interaction with mental mm-hmm. health care at all right and you know we visited him in the psych ward and it was terrifying because it was a old bad hospital everything was locked down it did not seem conducive to mental health at all it seemed conducive to fear it was it looked like one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something like it was you know terrifying and then he eventually succeeded right like he wasn't successful that attempt and he, he did later on but you know, that was it for years and years and years. That was what I knew of, of mental health care. Cause it was totally siloed from anything else that we were doing in school or anything like, like, you know, they did the thing that they always do, which is, oh, uh, we have a counselor assigned to the school. You can go talk to them if you want at whatever time. And, you know, nobody does that, but we did get together in groups in friends' houses and talked through those things. Right. It's something that is definitely missing. I mean, I guess the challenge is like, how do you turn that underground thing how do you combine the professional spheres with that thing that is like where people are starting on their own right and you know you talked a lot about that but how do you actually bridge that how do you say like this is a place where you can keep feel comfortable coming in if you've always only experienced the other side where you're like this is something over here that i don't want to touch until i absolutely have to right one of the unlocks we've definitely found and i believe in is before anyone says out loud a concern there are two years of introspection, like certainly a a taboo concern. There are two years of analyzing this in your brain and then finally admitting it to yourself before you say it to another person. I trust that. What a successful mental health care solution looks like is meeting someone within those two years. And what happens is when it comes to like the one-on-one therapy solutions today, which I admire for many other reasons is they wait for the two years and then there's another like year of like, so I could say if I don't know if I'm going to say it to that therapist because I was told freaks go to therapy and then I got a whole nother stigma I'm, going, I'm confronting. And so I think of this as like we as a community and as a country have been doing this in many ways and tools like Reddit are a great example of where people have. I was actually have. thinking about Reddit when you were talking earlier. Yeah. I was like, it's, it's weird because it's become, there's so many communities and they were for other purposes, mm-hmm. but they end up sort of like holding each other up. Yes. Which and is, they're you know. great examples of like during that two year block, what is it that you need? A space to digest without necessarily speaking, right? Like step one, it's like the speaking part, even if it's typing, that's freaking hard. Right. So I I need the opportunity to do that. I think that Reddit has done an exceptional job at bringing that to life. You can search YouTube videos where people in the comments, if you search a lot of the sleep videos in YouTube, people in the comments threads are truly one another's support systems and speaking through what do their recurring nightmares look like and why do they wake up at the same time every night? And people like we as human animals are looking for this and finding this and it's showing up in these 
settings that maybe weren't built for that. And the only missing piece, I would argue, in making it a successful mental health care system is if it were sustainable, right? If it actually was built to sustain you in this mental health care journey, if it was guided by a professional. And I use the word guided intentionally as no one is the expert on you. You are. But what a trained professional allows for is someone who knows how to identify and name what is going on and offer the course correction, the tools that would otherwise make a group mayhem in a group. Yeah. Both those examples you brought up are perfect for describing what happens when that is not present, right? Because you have so many of them end up being very dangerous or hateful groups. Since you're a found listener, I'm going to bet you're also pretty interested in startups and technology. So great news. We're going to give you an offer for 50% off a subscription to Extra Crunch. Extra Crunch is TechCrunch's premium product. And what you get there are deep dive interviews with some of the best startup founders and investors in the industry. You get surveys of different investors in different areas of expertise and geographies. You get market maps of opportunities in new and emerging industries and you also get deep dive looks at some of the so you can subscribe to extra crunch at extracrunch.com that's probably the easiest way or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for extra crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found the name of this podcast during checkout and you'll get 50 percent off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription So I want to dig deeper into this thing that's happening naturally, right? And it leads me a little bit to real as a brand because, yeah, okay, I have sleep problems. So I look up sleep videos and then because I can't sleep, I'm in the comments and, oh, someone gets it, I can talk. Or I go to Reddit to get my mind off of this anxiety that I have and I'm in this community. So like, it's a backdoor. It's not like an active, I need to go do this, right? For example, with Daryl's example, if they had said, hey, we have a counselor assigned to the school, come in groups and talk in a comfortable setting, still probably wouldn't have happened. Right? right. It happened naturally when they were hanging out in a basement with the mm -hmm. friends. Oh, you remember so-and-so like, let's talk about this. And it just mm -hmm. happens organically. How do you develop a brand where the moment someone hears about real, they don't think the same thing that they probably have thought this whole time of that two-year block <laughs> or whatever. So what I'm hearing is if most of these solutions, be it Reddit or the guidance counselor in middle school or a therapist exists as an acute point solution. And it's still the case that I go when things suck and then I leave. And how do you build a system that has sustainability? How is real doing so? It takes a combination of redesigning the emotional and tactical design or elements of the solution. What do I mean by that? First and foremost, from a tactical perspective, it has to be affordable enough that people will do it month over month, right? All of these solutions, particularly for adults, they cost an amount of money. And we, as people in the society, are constantly checking that credit card statement to see, is this worth my time? It needs to be low enough cost. Two is it needs to spark joy. Joy is not the same as happiness, right? You have to feel a reason for coming, a purpose. And we're constantly figuring this out at Real, constantly iterating, because people are also constantly changing, right? And these past two years were a great testament to, wow, what does someone need to feel well in this environment? And that accountability, I think, comes in two different ways. One is socially. We are more accountable to work that has coworkers in it than consulting work, right? We like gravitate towards other human beings, what other human beings need of us. So I think a solution requires that bout of, 
I have a person I'm accountable to. I'm eager to hear what's happening to them next week. I want to share what's happening. And also the second piece, which I personally resonate with more is the system needs to be offering me something such that I have unique value if I stay here for a year. An example of that is like, what are you capturing within me? What story are you identifying that in a year, I, I want you to hold that. The um, investor way of putting it is data, mm. but the internal way is like, there are so many examples, like one of the best tools we know in mental health care, there are so few things we can point to and say, we know this maintains mental health. And one of those very few things is daily journaling. Who daily journals? Don't know. Maybe in the journalism industry, you guys are doing this. I don't. But the, majority <laughs> the majority of people are not doing it. Why? Because I don't feel any accountability to my notebook and I don't feel any accountability to me in Google Docs. And I might feel good in the moment, but there is no relationship I have with Google Docs. I would love a platform who I journaled within and actually told me a story through that journaling and actually fed me a year later, like this is where you were at a year ago. Build a platform that allows me to form a relationship with myself. And that is really hard. It's really hard to even translate the like emotional piece of that to a technical or product format of it. But the point being is that forming a relationship with yourself is such a fuzzy concept, I'd bet for most, if not all Americans. And the goals of a sustainable mental health care system is one that shows you there's value to doing that and that actually operationalizes it. You know, an analogy I constantly think to, and I haven't yet cracked what it is, but I constantly think about religion. And I was raised by parents of two different religions and followed neither. So I'm so distant from like, what is religion? But, you know, people in many ways, religion is a pursuit of the same things that we're trying to get to today in mental health care. Religion tied that purpose to a different higher power, a different being. But conceptually, it was solving for a lot of what mental health care today is trying to bandage our lack thereof. Things like human beings need community. Human beings need constant perspective checks. And I think, and again, I don't know religion, but what I do understand of it is the concept of weekly Shabbat, the concept of weekly Sunday church. I think what it brings to light is we need to be routinely removed from our everyday life. Or even just like the existence of a higher power is a perspective check, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm small. Yeah. Let's zoom out a little bit. I think it boils down to like structure, community, and narrative are the three main ingredients. And like, those are the things, religion is yeah. very good at all those things, right? Mm -hmm. And Daryl, I might take that from you. I'll quote you. That's good. All I need is 15% of the company. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to keep up those, yeah. the, he's got to keep up the income for all of his spending <laughs> yeah. in retail therapy. Yeah, which is a valid form of therapy, no. <laughs> I think we're also like what we do is is writing, right? But like I think in general people like cohesion in their own personal narrative. A lack thereof is what causes a lot of problem and, and what you're getting at is the same thing where you're see, like what you want is to be able to look back and see like the story progressed. Yeah. And even one-on-one -on -one therapy, like I don't know that that's very present, right? Like you might get a good therapist who's like, "Let's take a look back and, you know, let me glance at my notes and show you like what you were saying about yourself a year ago versus 6 months mm -hmm. ago versus today." I don't think that's very common, right? I don't, I think it's really like onward constantly. Agreed. We think we remember where we were a year ago. We don't. We at Real do an annual reflection, both in written form and video form. And then every year we put the previous years together in a shared video format. And last year I looked at mine, I'm like, I do not recall saying, <laughs> like, <laughs> I did not know I believed this. And it was a really beautiful 
recognition of growth, of evolution, development. And I think particularly when we start thinking of the younger demos and what care looks like for them, we have to be all the more thoughtful because, you know, we're seeing these headlines that are speaking to how mentally distressed they are, how mentally unwell they are. But not only are they facing mental illness at higher rates than anyone else, but they also, they are not relating to the traditional healthcare system. They were born into a digital first world. They were born into a world driven by short form content, driven by products that gather, analyze, understand their data so freaking deeply that like the second the product speaks to them, they're speaking their same language and their same accent. And we're seeing it statistically, they're not engaging with the healthcare system the way older generations do. And they're a lot more vocal when they see gaps, right? Millennials already are vocal, we're vocal, Gen Z's vocal. And something that I'm worried about is we have a lot of examples of people putting the care system that exists today online and then dumping a lot of money on marketing to spread that to the masses. And one of the big problems is that care system itself. That's what needs updating. Right. For the same reasons while I was at Columbia, I'm like, wow, yo, Freud made this 120 years ago. This did not apply to my people 120 years ago. It definitely does not apply to me today. <laughs> when you think of these younger demos and they were born to such different worlds that really resulted in different behaviors, different illnesses, different manifestations of illnesses. I think it's always been flawed that we had such a clear-cut definition as how does depression manifest and how does anxiety manifest. That was always problematic, but now it's reaching greater extents because people are changing more rapidly and changing more rapidly than the healthcare system is keeping up with, right? Snapchat and Instagram and Peloton are far better at adapting their versions of a care model for their user and understanding the user and iterating based on that user than the healthcare system that maintains our health. Maybe not for the benefit of the user, but yeah. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Their motivations right. are not aligned to like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. but yes, iterating for sure. But we need to think of it through that lens of, I mean, it was already flawed. The care system assumed these very few clinicians dictated what humans are. And these research papers had sample sizes of 30 white guys became the definition of mental illness across the entire world, always problematic. And now that gap is going to look even wider when we're talking to demographics who changed very much and are vocal when they notice care, products, systems don't resonate with yeah. them. Part of the reason that I wanted to talk about like the brand, right? Like the front door of real yeah. was because I was reading through the article that I wrote a while ago and it was really interesting because Megan Rapino and Eric Kendrick, yeah, Kendrick are investors and presumably in some way, shape or form brand ambassadors as well, right? They have huge platforms. And mm -hmm. it was interesting because Megan and Eric, they seem picture perfect for real, right? Like the, Megan is known for speaking her mind, being vulnerable, just saying what she wants and needs and kind of going after it. And Eric also, I think is known for being pretty vulnerable, especially as like a big NFL player <laughs> to just be like, oh yeah, it wasn't like I was suffering from something really acute and serious, but I just felt off and wanted to do something about it, right? Like can't find two better people. And then the other person on the cap table, which I didn't realize when I was writing it, but I am now, is Gwyneth Paltrow, mm -hmm. who does not have a great reputation for like wellness, right? Or like credibility. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just mm -hmm. curious, how did that happen? How did you think <laughs> through that in terms of bringing Gwyneth on? Because you have these two people who are brand ambassadors that feel so mm -hmm. aligned. And then Gwyneth just feels like it comes out of nowhere a little bit for you and what I know of you and what I know of real. So I... I think Gwyneth Paltrow invested in an incredibly admirable mission, and that was there are a lot of hippy-dippy frou-frou things that could be incredibly valuable to the world, but remain perceived as hippy-dippy frou-frou because there is no 
legitimized, respected platform that story tells them. She right. built that platform. One, like any brand, I'm sure there are going to be gaps or hurdles along the way. And I'm someone who doesn't have a TV and never had a TV. I don't follow celebrities all too much. So I do think we hold them to a standard that is not human. She is a founder and CEO and not a, I mean, I don't think PhDs are that impressive either, but she's not a PhD MD, you know, in all of sciences. She speaks who she is and some people agree, some don't. But I think her underlying mission actually quite resonated. It manifests in a very different way. And Goop is a very different kind of company, but understood there are things that could be very valuable. And what's so unfortunate is people often find them when they hit a rock bottom part of their life, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost a cliche that the person finds spirituality or finds crystals, finds acupuncture when they lose everything. And that mystery does a disservice to the world. How can I bring that mystery to light in an approachable format of maybe those who are woke in New York City and LA are like, that's not approachable. And I already knew what acupuncture is. So who cares? Like those in the middle of America and like certain other areas don't have that access to information. And so certainly different brand in many ways, though she had and continues to be very helpful in naming what are those gaps and also teach me. And I know any other founder she's invested in, like, is when things get hard and this is how to solve for them. Does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, it does. Definitely. Yeah. Also your point about like people being too hard on, so not, not too hard on, but like, I don't really like expectations. Celebrities I'm there. very hard on celebrities, <laughs> but it's because I'm not hard on celebrities though. Jordan. It's, it's sort of like on the culture of celebrity. Yes. I don't want to participate in the culture of celebrity. I don't think it should exist. But that is actually more sympathetic to the individuals therein. And I think also like a lot of what she's doing, and I, don't, I no, by no means want to be like an apologist for goop or whatever, but like a lot of what she's doing is that thing where it's like, let's speed up the process of you going to these places and extremes. I was going to add, I do think we are not good at treating things as tools. Our brain defers to everything as God. I mean, particularly in mental health care, this shows up. Someone goes to a therapist once and they're still depressed after a session. Their mental health care doesn't work. When we instead think of it as this is one tool for me to use to improve my mental health and we center ourselves in that story. And this is one tool biased by this person or this organization. Still could be helpful to me, but I will remain well. Don't care how the organization or the person does. Like, I will remain well. As long as I identify, this is one tool that has one format. What do I feel? What do I resonate with when I process it, right? When I take part in it. And I think that approach should be taken when we engage with therapists, when we engage with products, spirituality, fitness. Maybe it's human that we're all looking for a purpose and we apply that to everything in front of us. Maybe that is intrinsically human. And the best way that we know how to feel settled is if we believe in something or partnership with something means like this is my new higher power right, right. and we want black and white gray yeah. is so uncomfortable for humans so, uncomfortable. so it's like the oh therapy didn't work i'm still depressed therapy is a waste of time right. or it's like my therapist said yes right, right. that yeah. is bible right there is no in between yes. it's like my therapist said that i could do one of two things and maybe i should feel those out and see how it works we prefer binary so much more in my experience with therapy it's presented that way like here are some things that may be of use to you but your like stupid human animal brain takes it away yeah. 
was like, oh, that's the way to do it. But yeah. I know what you're doing. Nice trick. Yeah. <laughs> and we just don't trust our, I mean, not to go too off track, but like we weren't, the education system we were raised in, I don't think it taught us to trust ourselves that much. Like all of these hurdles, uncertainties, issues we're raising really come down to the fact that we don't value our own point of view enough, our own perspective enough. And it is way easier to say, my therapist said, than it is to say, I don't want to take part in this. Mm -hmm. Right. So often humans resort to rather than telling someone this is how I feel about you, this feedback I have on you, we instead say like everyone's saying mm -hmm. this. Yeah. It's vulnerable. And we weren't taught how to stand our grounds that way and how to maintain respect from others when the opinion is just ours as opposed to being the opinion of many others. And I'm not sure how we best learn that. I don't know how we marry learning to respect and value ourselves and also being like a part of a greater community. Well, I think entrepreneurs have a big role in that, like especially entrepreneurs like you, because I think that what you said about I, I've always talked about it as being more obsessed with the problem than the product, but you kind of said the same thing, right? Which is like, if it's ballet classes that get the job done, then we're going to do ballet classes. I think that just like in the education system hasn't taught us to like stand up for, I believe in this, it also hasn't accounted for, there are five or six different ways to do long division, right? Like they do it differently in Japan than they do it here, right? So the ability to kind of say like, my means are going to be different than yours, but our ends are the same also feels very difficult for humans. I think that my path is this way and your path is that way, but we're going the same direction. That part, for whatever reason, our stupid animal brains can't compute that either, right? So I think that entrepreneurs who think the way that you do and are able to translate and say like, you're going here and you're going here, but we're all ending up at this station over here is super useful and can set an example, right? Because I assume that the people working with you and the people around you are learning some of that as well. Wow, this talk really has me thinking a lot about religion. Like maybe this was some underlying benefit to it. And because we're lacking that, like, where do we go on Sunday mornings? What do we do on Friday evenings? We're like looking for some moment, like, when do we come back together? Like, how do I feel certainty? I still have community. And I do see what humans were gravitating towards by looking at the issues we face today and what we might need. That sense of like, I need constant tabs and I have a community. And it's funny because on one hand, millennials and Gen Z are both like most relentlessly free from community and incapable to make individual decisions, yeah. which might actually make sense when you remove both, but it's, you know, we're moving more and living further away from families, breaking those traditions, but not necessarily feeling the comfort and certainty to do our own thing. We are grasping for community via likes and reshares and yeah. And the most like surface kind yeah. of yeah. like it's a totally empty hollow. way. It's, it's community really... and name only, right? But... Yeah. Well, wow, that's a good well, place I to end. <laughs> yeah, let's call it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This is so nice to have an authentic conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was great. It was especially it. nice since it was our first one back. So it really sets the tone for the year. Maybe don't interview a crypto guy after me, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was our conversation with Ariella. Jordan, you brought Ariella to the show. What did you find most interesting about Ariella and Real? So I think her framework for the way she thinks of herself as a founder was really interesting. Obviously, she's gone really, really deep on the whole mental health aspect of things and how the system should change, how she could change the system, et cetera. 
And has kind of grown into a founder that really sees her company having all these different departments and organizations that she's supposed to translate for them, which I, I think is a good way to think about it. You know, we think of like a CEO is leading the vision and they do, but there's also a lot of like making sure the right hand and the left hand know what's going on. And that she put it in really clear terms when she was talking about like the health team versus the product team and how they're working towards the same goal, but they're using completely mm-hmm. different language and there needs to be an intermediary there. So I really liked that. Bit. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's um, underappreciated how much the CEO is responsible for internal communication and cross organizational communication and how important that is especially i think it's startups where you're blending technology and something else that's like a profession with a lot of built-in knowledge and very different ways of doing things and we've talked to a few founders about that about the experience of integrating teams with vastly different sets of experiences i think she's the first person i've talked to who kind of like listed that as their magic power or whatever their core competency in that role so i think that's super interesting especially in the context of a company that's all about communication. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because the product is about communication and empathy, right? Like these things that it takes to be a good thoroughfare for information to a large group of people with differing short-term agendas, same long-term goal. So I also thought towards the end, I mean, we tend to do this on Found where we just kind of like wander off Uh into some existential conversation. It's kind of our style, but I really enjoyed it this time. Not that I don't other times, I particularly enjoyed it this time because I thought the conversation around the different generations, the way they approach mental health, the way they approach just like bettering themselves or improving in general was interesting. I thought it was funny how she kept being like, I can't stop thinking about religion, right? Like we got real metaphysical. So yeah, I I mean, yeah, that was definitely a recurring theme. We talked a lot more about religion than I was expected to going into the conversation. That's for sure. I also thought it was interesting how you brought up the obvious surface level, at least conflict between the perception overall of Goop as a brand and having like Gwyneth Paltrow on board as an investor. And that generated some interesting conversation. It ended up being a lot more nuanced than I think probably people might assume. And I like how I defended Gwyneth Paltrow, which is like not really yeah, my style. I thought that was an interesting <laughs> turn of events for sure. So you said we talked about religion more than I expected. Definitely. Definitely way more because I expected zero talk of religion. So that was one shocker. And then we talked about celebrities and I found myself in a 2v1. (laughs) That's right. Somehow being the only one who was like, isn't going to thousand kind of shady? Like, I don't know how that situation where I align with the guests against Jordan. Poor celebrities. Leave them alone, Jordan, you bully. Yeah, we should get them together to sing Imagine (laughs) again. That's going to do it for us here. But if you enjoyed this... (laughs) If you enjoyed this debate where we debated the merits of both religion and celebrities. One and the same in some ways. Great review of the podcast. We really appreciate when you rate and review the podcast, especially when you give us the top review, the top rating, five stars. It's literally like, it's, I need the to easiest go. easiest thing to remember. We have like a base 10 society. Uh, it's a five star rating. I have to system. go have a CAT scan. Not... And they're going to, there's going to be, a, this is dark, but it. It's also funny. <laughs> There's going to be a shadow on the thing and it's going to be like, this is the era of your brain that's responsible for remembering how many stars there are in the rating system. And I do. <laughs> just the number five, but it's not the number five for some reason. It's just when it's yeah, a star rating. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyways, do, stuff. yeah, give us a great review. There's a chance we'll read it on air if you do. <laughs> and of course, tune in next week. We'll be back 
giving you everything there is to give. That's all we do. We give it all. Givers. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashad Kulkarni and edited and produced by Maggie Stamets. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us at 510-936-1618 and leave us a voicemail. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.